today, Jesus, Lion of the tribe of Judah. We're looking at the names of Jesus, a laser-like focus on Christ. Now, I'm going to lose part of the audience here because you're never supposed to see this when teenagers are in the room. But here she goes. Back when I was young, you could almost hear them mentally clicking off, couldn't you? It's just like, oh, well, I wonder if there's something on. Um, back, many of you also remember this. Sunday afternoons were death on TV. It was awful. You might think, well, didn't you watch the football? No. You had the game of the week. You, you might grow up all the way through your high school years and never see your team play on television because it just didn't hit the time you were available. There were horrible shows like Bowling for Dollars. That never made it to Great Britain. Yes. But we had, and we had some awful things as well. We had cricket. Thank you. A cricket game can go on for four days and nothing happens. But then they'd bring out the old movies. Do you remember the old movies they'd play on Sunday afternoon because they were free because nobody wanted to watch them? There would be gladiator movies with Victor, uh, Victor Mature and Steve Reeves prancing about in leopard skins and breaking chains made out of licorice and uh, fighting, fighting stop-action monsters. And then there were the Tarzan movies. Oh, my. Racist, stupid, inaccurate and everything, but that was what was on. In every Tarzan movie, and this was by law, I think, he had to fight a lion. Remember that? You would see cut scenes of real lions out on the savanna at a distance. And then Tarzan would walk into this little stage set clearing, and somebody would throw a stuffed lion at him. And through the sheer power of his will and great years of training, he was able to subdue the stuffed lion, wrestling it to death, or even deader death. I didn't think much about this, frankly, until I came face to face with my first real lion. Now, here's where I wish my story was better. I really wish that I could say I was out on the African veldt, or I had just walked into the savannah. I went, nah, it was at a zoo. Um, <laughs> I had come across to America to go to school uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, it, we had the name first, it's Birmingham. So I was down there, and a fam I'd just been in the country a couple of weeks, and family said, Would you, we're gonna go to the zoo, would you like to go? And I thought, well, you know, why not? Wasn't sure what the, the, the anyway, went. And um, they had a lion right up close, I came around, and there was glass there, thank, thank God. But I had to look up to see its head. They're big. Since then, I've come across a few other lions in my time, and they're big. They are massive creatures. Now, they're not all that tall. I'm not sure what this one, I'm pretty sure he's on steroids, but uh, there are others that you, they walk, they come up, and they're big, they're stinky, they are threatening. It is awful, and that's the first time I realized lions really are scary creatures. They're not just a little stuffed thing that Tarzan wrestles. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation 5, 5, Jesus is given the name, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But before you can really get that, before you can really understand it, 
you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 49. See, that's what Revelation does. It runs back through the Old Testament and grabs things out of the Old Testament and then rearranges them in its apocalypse. So, you go all the way back to Genesis 49, when Israel, whose earlier name was Jacob, uh, calls in his sons and his grandsons to give them the blessing. Well, that's a big deal. It's a big deal today. If you were not given a blessing by your father and mother, it hurts you in your life. It's one of the reasons we run to our Heavenly Father to get a blessing. But let's not get ahead of ourselves here. It was a huge deal back then because once a blessing was given, it could not be rescinded. And once it was given to one, it could not be given to the other. Do you remember Jacob and Esau and that situation? Once it had been given, even under deception, it could not be taken away. Well, look at Genesis 48 verses 13 through 19. Here's Joseph. Joseph takes both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand. That's Jacob. Now, remember, Israel here in this context refers to Jacob, not the nation. And Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, even though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who's been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people. He will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He gave the blessing to Judah, the one who would become Judah. The older sons would not be the leaders. Well, this is all very interesting stuff, but what does it mean? It means that Judah would be the line of the royals. Judah would be the lines of kings. Judah would be the rulers over nations. The brothers would all praise Judah just as they had to praise Joseph. Remember that story about Egypt and Joseph? and the, the famines and the like. But he says, Judah does not hold it forever. He holds this crown and authority until, quote, the one comes to whom it belongs. We hold it in trust. I'm told, and I have no way to check this out, I'm told the Native Americans believe that we held the land in trust for the generations to come. Therefore, they did not consider themselves to ever own land or own a particular area. They would say, we hunt here. But the concept of ownership was, was odd to them, and they didn't really get it, and that's why they signed so many treaties that were later broken and all the problems there. We are holding everything in trust. Well, Judah was holding the crown, the line of the kings in trust until the one comes from whom it belongs. Just as we take communion 
in anticipation of the day when we will take it with Jesus personally in heaven, the tribe of Judah would reign temporarily until the true king came. Now, this is not a text in isolation. It's all through the Old Testament. Jacob was told in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 3 and 48 and verse 4 that his people, his people would become a community of peoples. Now, the way that means is it means even the others will come into this community. Think for a minute about who your others are because we're not called just to love God and love each other. We're called to love God, love each other, and all the others, those who are others to us, those who might be enemies, those who might be uh, antagonistic toward us, those who might not like us. We are to love them regardless for we are a community of peoples, not one people. Jacob, in Psalm chapter 2 and verse 8, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The word there is goyim, the Gentiles too. I will make the nations your inheritance. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. There before me was one like the Son of Man. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that on a particular day, the end of days, every knee shall bow to Jesus the Christ. I think you should bow now and avoid the rush. I think you ought to get in the habit now. If that's what you're going to be doing for eternity, you might want to learn how to bend the knee now. When this great king comes, Genesis has some really, I love the, love the language. It says, things will be so rich Things will be so prosperous. You'll tie up your donkey to the choicest vine. What does that mean? All right, if you don't know about donkeys, there's that word again, uh, ever since Shrek. Um, <laughs> and I'm not allowed to use the King James word, uh, which is frustrating. Anyway, the, um, so many people are now looking up the King James word on their Bible apps. Um, the... Um, a, a, a donkey, when you tie it up, does not like being tied. A horse will hang about, chew some grass, drink some water. A donkey will every now and then decide, I want to be somewhere else. And they will just lean back and start pulling and eventually pull up the plant, unless it's a really big size one, that you've tied it to. Or they'll pull out the post or the peg that you put in the ground for them. We put in an invisible fence when, uh, years ago when we had a, a, a dog that we figured, well, we need to keep that dog on our property, so we put it in. But the dog had a brain. It was too smart. And so it would get close to the fence and hear the collar begin to beep and sit down and wait for the battery to die. <laughs> and those batteries cost like $10 each. And so eventually I said, run free, dog, run free. <laughs> You find another people, tell them we said hello and they've got a new dog. Um, you, you wouldn't put your choicest vines, the one that's bringing you uh, grapes and raisin and wine that's, that you, you sell, that you use for your family. You wouldn't tie a donkey up to that. That's ridiculous. He said, you'll have so much, you'd, you'd tie a donkey up to a choice vine. He says the best wines would be as plentiful and commonplace as washing water. Of course, Jesus brings that up 
at the miracle of, at the wedding at Cana in Galilee, where he turns the washing water into wine. We also see treading the wine press, uh, um, clothes stained red as if with blood with the grape juice the, the, and the wine in, in Isaiah and in Revelation. And then the references to his eyes and teeth saying he will be so beautiful doesn't mean he'll be good to look at. Isaiah 53 says that when Jesus comes, we're not going to think he's particularly handsome. He had a face more like the normal person Actually, maybe a bit worse, the scripture says, we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was not one comely to behold, to use the old language. And yet, he comes. Revelation 5 and verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Whoever you are today, remember this verse. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The long-awaited king, the founder of the community of nations. But that's a verse in isolation, and we need to go all the way back to chapter 4 to really understand what's going on here. We're in the throne room of God. One day we're going to be there, but in Revelation, you're already there. The throne room of God. Can you imagine it? Can you be? Yeah, it's something I'm looking forward to seeing. God is there in all of his power and all of his glory. And there beside him at his right hand is his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. The focus, as it should be, is entirely upon them. The entire assembly of angels, of the saints, of the martyrs, of the cherubim, the seraphim, the living creatures the Kedeshim, the, Elohim, uh, the Bene Elohim, the friends of God and the sons of God are all focused on the Father and the Son. And God is holding a scroll. It's a private scroll. We know that because the scripture says it was written on both sides. And in that time, you only wrote on both sides if this was your private book. This is a book not for resale. This was your book. The reason being, by the way, that if you wrote on both sides, it had to be handled twice as much, and they would break, they would come apart within five to ten years, and you'd have to write another copy out. So this, this was a very special thing written on both sides. John, the revelator, has come into the throne room to hear, what is going to happen to my people? Are you concerned about what's going to happen to your people? about not only the United States, for example, but is more, more personally. Have you ever had a look at the national debt and then wondered about your grandchildren? Have you ever seen the, um, the, the conflicts around the world and then hold your babies and wonder, will they be sent into war? We have concern about our people. John is looking at the absolute annihilation of his people, unless something, something happens. And that book tells what happens next. It will let him know, do we survive or not? Do we, do we make it through this or not? Can you imagine the drama? It was about a year or so ago that I brought this up. Sorry, I have to repeat some things sometimes. Uh, Mark was talking during the, the 
uh, worship meeting today. He said he'd, he'd heard me up in Rochester use some of the same jokes he used here. And I said, uh, buddy, I've only got limited material. This is the only life I've lived. Um, and uh, so that's why I'll have to leave here uh, in the next couple months because I'm out. Uh, I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, you'll let me know. You'll, you'll heard it, you know, that sort of thing. Anyway, back, uh, I, I watch some TV. I'm not really hooked on TV that much. You know, I like sports and such, but there are some shows that are interesting. But I can remember, I'd heard about it before, but never watched it. There's so many shows I've never watched. But my worship leader came and gave me the first season of 24 on DVD. And he may as well have handed me crack. <laughs> I don't really remember what happened next, but three days later, I'm sitting on my couch in underwear covered with Cheeto dust. <laughs> Sorry for the visual. Uh, going, what? Now, we get that worked up over shows we know aren't real. What if we were all taken up into heaven today by God saying, the kingdom, your nation, is in balance. I'm going to decide whether it lives or dies. And I'm going to decide if it dies, how it dies. And it's in this book. We all stand and we wait for him to open it. John is terrified. We'd be terrified. And then a mighty angel steps up, declares to all of the assembly, the angels, the, the martyrs, the, the friends of God, sons of God, all of them saying, who is worthy to open the book? Who's worthy to take this book and open the book? And the Bible says there was silence. No matter how much they searched, nobody Nobody was worthy to open the book. And John weeps. He weeps, wondering what's going to happen to his people. Then a mighty angel, one of the elders rather, comes to John and says in verse five, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 5, Do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you're not getting... Uh, goosebumps now, you're not paying attention. The, son, the root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And right there, right there is enough drama to really give you a punch of you've come face to face with a real lion. But there's a twist. Apocalyptic literature, like Revelation, talks a lot about lions. There are a lot of apocalyptic books that we don't have in our Bibles, like Second Enoch and many others, uh, and they talk about lions as these big, hulking lion of God that kind of stomps through, like Godzilla, stomping through the, the towns, driving back the enemies of God. And so John turns in Revelation to see this great lion of the tribe of Judah and sees a bloodied lamb. The lion of the tribe of Judah looks like a slaughtered lamb. And that, my friends, is a lesson we need to hear. Because Jesus does not conquer. He is a great lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he does not conquer through teeth and talons and violence. He conquers 
by giving himself in love and calling his nation to do the same. Follow him. We do not trust in tanks. We do not trust in helicopters. We trust in the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God. John sees his eyes, and it reveals who he is, the complete, the true, the real image of God. The Spirit of God, who has gone into all the earth, is standing in front of his people, not as a ruler, not as a big thundering despot and dictator, not as a person that says, give me more power, but as a person who gave up his power and says, love God, love each other. That's how we conquer. You might think that's a really bad battle plan, but what do you think about walking around Jericho seven times? Seemed to work. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but when God tells you to do something, it doesn't matter if it won't work. It's your job to do it. It's his job to make it work. And he does. Um, I just heard Albert say amen. Anytime I get an amen from Albert, that whoo um, Albert, <laughs> I want to ask you, was it Justinian who on his deathbed said, O Galilean, thou hast conquered? Do you remember? Was it who? I think so. One of, the, one of the emperors, and I think it was Justinian, who tried to wipe out the Christian, Christian faith on his deathbed is said, it is, he is, it is said that he angrily said, O Galilean, thou hast conquered. With all of his legions, he couldn't wipe out the movement based on the love of God and the love of each other. And friends, I want to tell you right now that what happens in November won't, won't make it easier to be a Christian or harder to be a Christian. It won't advance our cause. It will not retard our cause. We are marching forward regardless because our Savior does not come from D.C. Our Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the slaughtered lamb, comes from heaven. Remember that. The lamb gets up and takes the scroll from the hand of God, for he is worthy. The four creatures, the 24 elders, all of them fall down in front of the lamb, the lion, to worship him. They sing new songs in that chapter. It's a worship chapter. They sing three new songs. And so those of you that don't like new songs are really not going to like heaven at all. Because they, they keep writing new ones. In verse 9, 12, and 13, three new songs. The first two songs are, are directed toward the lion slash lamb. The third is directed toward both the Father and the Son. And then they bring forth bowls of worship praise. These are prayers of the saints. They're not prayers of praise. We have a very active prayer ministry here. And I'm so grateful for Dr. Lemons, for, the, uh, for Melinda and Tony Simmons, for Joel, for, for all of those. And I, I, there are so many I couldn't name that are involved in the prayer ministry. That's how I do my job is because people are praying for me. The moment they stop, the moment is I'm, I'm done. And I know it. I'm carried by those prayers. But these prayers are not prayers of worship. These are prayers of petition that are then brought up to God. They are help us 
prayers. We're desperate prayers. And in Revelation, you see God responding because they prayed. Take a look, for example, in chapter 6 and chapter 8. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Chapter 8, another angel who had a golden censer, this bowl of incense, comes and stood at the, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. What do the hymns reveal? What do the prayers reveal? What does God's response reveal? Well, the hymns reveal that the Lion of Judah earned his crown because he presented himself as a sacrifice for his people. Talked, um, no, I did not talk, rather. Listen to a historian speak uh, years ago, and he was referencing um, Saddam Hussein back before most of us had heard that name. And he said, a standard rule of sociology and history is whenever pictures of the ruler show up everywhere, run. And that's probably a good thing to think about. Isn't it interesting? God told us in the, the Ten Commandments, don't, don't make a graven image of me. Don't make one. We don't make an image of him. We are his image. We live out what he lived out. And that will break the stranglehold of the powers and authorities. And it will produce a great victory, liberation for mankind. Because of Jesus' victory, he has the right to unfold history. And so he did. To provide salvation. To provide salvation that is applied to, in Revelation, every people, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Everybody. Whosoever will may come. This is a place where race does not matter. Party does not matter. Nationality does not matter. Ethnicity does not matter. Station in life does not matter. All that matters are, you know Jesus. You were created by Jesus. That's all that matters. We'll even love those that don't know Jesus for they too were created by Jesus. He has given us authority to act and speak in his name. We are priests because of the lion. I believe that it is this week, but it's very soon. The Roman Catholic Church is going to make Mother Teresa a saint. Now, that's odd to those outside the Roman Catholic Church. It's very, very important to those inside and, and important to a lot of other churches, I would think, as well. We would, I think it's entirely appropriate to honor Mother Teresa. Why? She gave up her life for others. That's why she's, yeah, that's why she's being honored, and I almost used some other names and said, and they're not. I'm not going to use the other names. Just fill in your own movie star or politician's name here. But the Bible says we are all saints. We are all priests because the king said so. The warrior king is now king indeed. And he calls you to enter his kingdom to live without fear. And calls you to remember that even in the darkest times of your life, you are not alone. 
a lion walks with you, a lion that loves you. Would you stand, please? As we look at Revelation 19, 11 through 16, I'll read this to you. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. A word before we go into the last admonition or blessing, really. He, his robe, is dipped in blood. His robe is torn, dirty, and soiled. But those riding behind him, us, we're said to have pure, white, clean. Because we don't have to fight the battles. He does. A paraphrase of Genesis 48, verse 15. May the God before whom your father Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who's been your shepherd all of your life unto this day, the heavenly messenger who has delivered you from all harm, may he bless you this day and for the rest of your life. May you always be called by his name and may you always walk in the names of of the shepherd, the king, the lamb of God. And remember, children of God, a lion walks with you.